This morning, excited to be with you guys. It's fun to have this front row back packed again. Welcome back from Hume, you guys. It's great to see you all. And uh, excited about getting into God's Word this morning. I have noticed something. I have, in the last couple months since coming to California, have come to realize that I have a love for roller coasters. I really enjoy them. My, my family, instead of uh, getting robbed by the mouse, we headed to the, the working classes amusement park. We headed to Six Flags. We, um, so we, 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 headed, uh, we headed over there and got, instead of uh, one day pass, we got a season pass for less than the cost of one day at Disney. And, uh, and so because of that season pass and the cheapskate side of me, we have been to Six Flags. We've got we've to gotta have broken the 10-time 10, 10 mark at this point. We were there at Hurricane Harbor yesterday, and I'm really realizing I like the big rides, like the, the huge roller coasters, like fantastic. The top of the Goliath sitting up there looking over the edge. Anybody done that in here? Everybody's looking at me like, no way. And I uh, did, the, did the water slides yesterday. They had this straight shot thing. It was pretty nutty. But I enjoy not the bumpy and like head shaking kind of roller coasters, but the smooth ones, Goliath. The, the high schoolers can appreciate that. And, uh, and so I've, I've come to realize, and you're like, why are we talking about roller coasters? Well, let me tell you why I'm talking about roller coasters. Because I think roller coasters is the best picture of what this next section of the text captures in the story of Elijah is exactly that. A roller coaster. Because that's what the emotional feel of what Elijah has been through. He's been to the top. We saw that last week with an amazing showing of God's power. Do you guys remember the story with the lightning coming down from heaven? The altar just melted and disintegrated and the people all repenting, an entire nation coming back to God. And now we're going to see this roller coaster of emotions start to take the dip downward. The truth is, when we're watching examples in Scripture, you've got to, if you're wise, learn to learn, learn to learn. I don't know if that makes sense. Learn from people's mistakes and shortcomings as well as their successes. And that's what we're going to do here this morning. We're going to have a chance to learn from some of the shortcomings in Elijah's life uh, as we look at his a roller coaster of emotions and what he discovers in this this process is that and, and you may have discovered this in your own life is that emotions make a wonderful caboose but a lousy engine let me pray for us as we begin god we thank you so much for this very practical glimpse and even study in the the, the realm of depression and this story of, of Elijah really paints a picture of, of what we as, as followers want to do our best to avoid. Allowing emotions to guide us and going wherever they take us. God, we just pray that through this time here this morning, that you'd teach us, that you'd stretch us, that you'd grow us in this area of emotional maturity. God, I pray that from this text and this example that you've that you've set before us, that we would be able to gleam something that we can take away with us today, a tool. Maybe we're not in the center of it right now, God, but you don't know when we're going to need this truth, God. So we just pray that you'd move and work and speak like only you can. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Well, I uh, spent some some time at Harvest, which was the last church that I was on staff uh, with, is a, a larger church in Chicago, and they had a ministry that was called the Soul Care Ministry, and they had some pretty extensive training for us as pastors, kind of going through and talking and equipping us, because seeing in our culture, there's a, there's a trend, and you don't have to look very far to find this, that depression is just a growing epidemic amongst our nation collectively. I was reading all these statistics about even the percentage of people that are being treated in a typical hospital. One, I read this description that they're saying that 75% of the people being treated, it was related to depression or anxiety within the patients that were being seen at this hospital. And you're like, whoa, what is going on? And the truth is, amongst believers, the, the issue and the challenge is similar. That we, if we're not careful, we can allow the emotions to guide us and we go down this roller coaster of life and it can take us to some pretty dark places. So this morning, I I love that we have some real practical tools that we can take from the text. And I want to start by just pointing out the the first uh, thing here is that what we're talking about topic-wise is not related to medical depression. I, I believe that there are times that there's a medical treatment. I don't fall in the camp to say that all, all things fall outside of that. So I believe that there's a the camp of medical t- depression, but I also believe that there's a lot that is maybe attempted to treat medically that's actually a spiritual issue. Does that make sense? And so in our, in our text today, we're getting a glimpse of the spiritual side of depression. And the truth is, is that we have an enemy that Satan would love to use this tool of depression to do one of two different things. One to either keep us from coming to us. He basically has these two goals in mind. One of either keeping us from coming to Christ to start with. We can get ourselves into such a dark place where we're never coming to him. But then separately... He can also use that as a tool to keep us on the sidelines where we're not really doing anything of significance kingdom-wide. And so the, the hope here today is to put a stop to that, but I think start by understanding how depression works. I wanted to point out just kind of a flow of what we see happen or progression that we see so often. If you guys have your notes, you can jot some of these down because the truth is if this isn't something you face currently, it's something that there'll probably be a season in your life where this does come a knocking. The first one in this progression in depression is this, is the idea of disappointment. Things not going the way you thought they were supposed to go. The slippery slide continues down towards discontentment. You're not content with how things have been going and you start to slip into this funk. Some of us are, are, are often going in and out of that mode of discontentment. The cycle needs to stop there. But the flow goes further into despair. The, the, the D word there, despair, don't, where, where you get to the place where you don't really want to be around people. You feel trapped. You start doing drastic things to get yourself untrapped. And this this despair place is a pretty common place that a lot of people have just gotten comfortable existing. The fourth one there, and you can see that in your note, is despondency. And this is a scary place. This is where someone gets to the place where they really just don't care about much of anything. They just kind of give up. They quit. And all of a sudden, this can become a consuming spot where you're like, I just don't care. Don't care much about anything. So this slippery slope, understanding that to start with sets the framework for when we're looking at the story of Elijah, the slope that he so quickly went down. We see that we're, if we're not careful, there's a lot of things that we can not recognize, areas that we're vulnerable to 
when we're in this position. I'm going to go through five different areas that we're vulnerable in after, uh, and see how a lot of those tend to lead straight into this area of depression. The first one is this. When we're most vulnerable for depression is after an intense ministry experience. After an intense ministry experience, we're very vulnerable to depression. You're saying, Scott, that doesn't make sense. Like after you, a, a mountain high experience like at, at Hume, like that wouldn't be sometime when I'd be vulnerable, right? But isn't it funny how Satan works? When, 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 we're, when we're at this peak, all of a sudden our, our, our guards are maybe down a little bit more. Uh, probably if we shared stories from folks even at Hume this last week, they can say in the last 10 days that they've seen Satan trying to do a tug and a pull in their life to bring them back, bring them d- back down from that high. When we live our life at the, at the peak, there's always the potential to collapse. So the first one, after an intense ministry experience. The second one we're going to see as we begin in our text here this week is after physical exhaustion. After physical exhaustion, when you're just running on empty. Last week we saw an amazing experience where Elijah had the opportunity to confront an entire nation, to confront a king. But then take a look in verse, uh, verses 41 through 46 in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. You guys can turn there with me. Again, 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46. We're going to see what happens after... The fire comes down from heaven. This is actually a pretty cool section of scripture as well. Verse 41 says this, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab, knowing, so this is after three and a half years of no rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Look at verse 46. And the, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let's pause there for a second. In verse 45, we see first that God did an amazing thing. After three and a half years of no rain, Elijah, just an ordinary man, as we see in the text, just like you or I, calls out to Almighty God. And what does God do? He says, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you one last faith exercise. We'll, we'll make you go check on it seven times. Doesn't God tend to do that? And, and then on the seventh time, what happens? The rain comes pouring. The drought comes to an end. Can you imagine that, that parched land at this point? The people, when they saw that cloud come, the, the rain started coming down. Can you imagine the excitement collectively? But then the, the interesting thing, I thought it was pretty crazy. Elijah decides, did you guys catch that in the text? Elijah decides to go ahead of Ahab and try to beat him to the destination. What you realize as you you dive in, that that was about a 20-mile distance. Now, do you think Ahab, being the king and the ruler of the nation, would have a slow or a fast chariot? 
Do you think he would have like a junky old ratty wheels, you know? Or do you think he'd have like the Ferrari of chariots at the time? What do you think? I'm thinking he has a pretty sweet set of horses, a pretty fast chariot. And what does it say that, that Elijah, in the power of God, beat him in a race to the bottom? Like, how awesome is that? Can you imagine this, this, this crazy old prophet? You know, like the cane goes down and he's booking it 20 miles, beating. You guys remember the roadrunner, that image that comes to mind when I'm thinking of Elijah cruising in front of this chariot. But at the end of that, his excitement, at the end of that, what happens? What happens? He's worn out. He's worn out. If, you, if you've run 20 miles, beaten a chariot, you've had this, this mountain high experience. And what happens is eventually you come and you crash. You're done. You're wiped out. You can't do it anymore. You can't sustain that pace. And Elijah comes to that realization at the, at the end of all of this excitement is, man, I can't keep this kind of a pace. I don't know if any of you are in this place right now where you're just like, man, that's me. That's a description of me to the T. I've been running at a, at a pace that, that's just not sustainable. At the, at the end of that, that's when we're so susceptible to Satan getting a little foothold in, getting a little, little hand in our heart, getting a, getting a place where he's like, man, things, things aren't so good, man. I'm, it's funny when you're worn out. Anybody else notice that? When you're worn out, how, how susceptible we are to this. I remember before, uh, in, in about June, I was running pretty ragged here after a lot of transition and a lot of change in our lives, moving our family across the country, starting in a whole new place, having the responsibility of talking at you guys every single week. Like the, the, I know that it only takes about 20 minutes, 30 minutes uh, tops. Just kidding. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of work that goes into the pastoring a church here in Agora Hills. I was feeling the, the, the weight of that. And I remember just feeling, just ex- before the, my family's vacation, just, just feeling exhausted. Just feeling worn out. Just like, man, I just, I'm just done. I'm just wiped out. And so my family, we did our annual vacation. We went to Ocean City, New Jersey. And guess what I did on that vacation? I did a lot of this. Sleeping. Sleeping is a good thing. Anybody else really enjoy sleep? Like, and, and, and nice. Any, any nappers in the room? I, I, even, I even dream about napping. It's, it's a weird thing. And, uh, and, and so sleep, and it's funny though, how when we get, allow ourselves to get refreshed, to, to be rejuvenated, how all of a sudden the, the sky doesn't look so gray anymore. I don't know if you even know what that is here, and, but, uh, but, but it's, it's, it's not so gloomy when, when, when we're rested and refreshed. And that's exactly what, what we notice in the story of Elijah is that is that he was just running on empty. I noticed in our culture that people kind of wear this as a badge of honor. They're like, yeah, I barely sleep. I only need four hours of sleep, you know? And uh, when's the last time you took a vacation? I never take vacations. I only work. You know, like people wear that as this pride thing. And, and, and the truth is, the truth is, God's made us and designed us to be refreshed. We're going to see later in the text how God chooses to... to allow Elijah to be refreshed through sleep and through food. So that's the second area after we're most vulnerable, first after intense ministry experience, after physical exhaustion, and now the next one after relational conflict. After relational conflict. I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll see in the, the, in the text here uh, that, that, that the truth is 
Elijah had this idea of how things were supposed to play out in his mind, but they don't exactly play out like that. Look in verse 1 of chapter 19. We see, we see Jezebel's response to Elijah. We, I assumed last week that she must have been in with the mix. Everybody, she was bound just like everybody else, but not so here in the text. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. She must not have come to the party. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not take your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So we see... That after the, the, after the party, after God rained down fire from heaven, that all of a sudden, wait a second, there's, this, there's still this conflict, this, this woman that, that, that hates me, like there's no group hug. What does it say that she wants to kill him? Can you imagine having somebody out there that wants to kill him? But the interesting thing to me is that just last week, he's fearless before the king, before all these prophets, before the entire nation, then you've got one woman that's ticked at him, and what is that? What happens? He collapses. Like, what's going on here? Isn't that funny how relational stuff, even if, even if it's a small thing, can just throw our entire life a wreck, right? When we have unresolved conflict, when we have areas of, of unforgiveness in our life, when we, we have somebody, a, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, when we've got strife going, what does that do to us? It can do some dangerous things in our life. It can be a, a, a sure formula for slipping down that slope that I described at the beginning. But the truth is, the truth is if we start to be aware of that, when this is on our radar, we start to recognize Oh, wait a second. I'm, I'm in this funk and maybe there's a cause. Maybe this unresolved conflict area is a route to the depression that I find myself in. And we see, I, I, was, I was talking to my, my wife's uh, brother was in town uh, about two weeks ago. It was kind of interesting because uh, we're, we're joking about this because when we lived in Chicago, he lives in, in Canada, he and his wife, and living in Chicago, uh, he, I think, only visited us uh, one time in the 14 years of marriage, and then we moved to California, and he's here in three months. It was really fascinating uh, to me, but we were just talking uh, about getting some updates in his life, and he was, he was sharing, great guy, loves the Lord. He owns a, a, a natural health clinic in Canada. In Canada, they're way, way more into like the preventative stuff. Anybody aware of this like health instead of us with our reaction and antidotes for everything here in the states and he was talking about in his in his clinic that he's gotten in the habit as he talks to a new patient he does blood analysis stuff and kind of figures out what the the area of of weaknesses in their system but one of the things in his conversation that he started asking is is there any unresolved conflict in your life any unresolved conflict in your life? Is, it, is there something looming? Is there something that's weighing heavy on you that, that needs to get, get resolved, that needs to get let go of? And it was, it, it, to me, it was fascinating, the link between the two that he's found even in health. So the third area, after relational conflict, the fourth is this. After a major victory, after a major victory, 
As we've mentioned before, this was after three and a half years of waiting. I imagine Elijah had played through his mind so many times what this confrontation with the king was going to look like. And then finally, the day comes. He gets to have victory, gets to celebrate. Like, this is an incredible thing. I was trying to think in terms of of present day how, how so simple... For us to create these milestones or these, these events that, man, someday when I get to this thing and you fill in the blank, that job promotion, that uh, owning that house of, of a family of my own, and you fill in the thing and even good things that we choose to elevate as, as exciting milestones in our life. The truth is, after that's come, if we're not careful, that's when we can be the most vulnerable to this sneaking in. Because all of a sudden when we've put the hope in the milestone rather than the God, the creator God, man, we're vulnerable. Because you get there and you start to realize, well, that was great, but man, just left me lacking. So milestones. So after a major victory, another dangerous tendency for us. Number five, after an unmet expectation, after an unmet expectation, I've come to the conclusion in my mind that we have a lot of ideas of how we think life should play out. And what I've also come to this conclusion is it very rarely happens that way. Anybody else, any, any older folks in the, the congregation that can look back on the, the timeline of their life and say like, man, I thought this was going to play out like this. And boy, it did not go that way. Anybody else in that camp? Am I just the, the only one at 40 already realizing this? And... <laughs> And uh, it's weird to say that at 40. Um, so um, so, so this, this idea of after an unmet expectation, you have a picture of how things are supposed to play out, and they don't typically go that way. I've mentioned this before. Uh, my, my wife and I had this idea early on. We had a lot of good uh, advice saying, man, if you, you need to stay in, in, in real estate and, and, and ride the, the market up and see how, how, uh, how homes continue, continue to appreciate and how, man, that, that's how you can secure yourself financially. Hmm. How about that? So, 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 so this, this, this past week, my wife and I are, are working through the process of selling one of our, our homes in a rental property that we have in Chicago, and coming to the realization that the purchase price and the selling price are very different. Anybody else uh, have that? And it's not different in the way up as the way down so much. And so, so we're starting to realize, wait a second, that's really actually a lot of lost money. Anybody else been in that place? You have this picture of being this real estate tycoon, and it doesn't necessarily play out that way. So how do we respond? How do we respond to disappointment? How do we respond when this plan that we've mapped out doesn't exactly play out the way we thought it was supposed to? It leaves us in a vulnerable spot for depression. See, the, 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 the truth is, is all of these things that I've mentioned there and you can see them on the board in front, on the, the, the screen there. After intense ministry experience, after physical exhaustion, after relational conflict, after a major victory, after unmet expectations, all of those things leave us very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. And the truth is, is that even starting, and I wanted this to be a profitable time together, even starting to be aware of those 
And the fact that, wait a second, I need to be on, on guard when, I, when I'm in these places. I need, to, I need to watch for that. That can be the first step towards moving in the right direction. But I, I wanted to point out two other areas. And you can see on your notes there, it just says how we get depressed. I, I've made two observations in, in my life, and we're going to see them in the text here in a second. Two observations of two areas that I believe we can definitely for sure get ourselves into a place where we're depressed. The first one is this, is choosing to isolate yourself. Choosing to isolate yourself. Anybody else attest to that? Look in verse 3, we see that we already read there. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So just to, to summarize there, what's, what's happening, he went about a day's journey into the wilderness, left the one person, his servant, probably the person that was closest to them, and just went out on his own. We're going to see as we continue in the, in, in the text there, that not only does he go one day's travel into this wilderness, he also then goes another 40 days, a few hundred miles away, all by himself. In verse 9, it says this, Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. He came to a cave and lodged in it. And upon first reading, you might be like, okay, well, that's just, that's interesting. He came to a cave and, and lodged in it. But how often spiritually, that's the same thing that happens to us. We get into this place where things didn't go the way that we expected. There's, there's this unresolved conflict. And what do we do? We do the exact same thing. We go to a cave and we lodge in it. We go in a cave and we lodge to it, absent of other people. And what happens in that cave is the second area that I think is a sure, guaranteed way to get ourselves depressed is, is this, is that we focus on the negative and forget God's provision. In that cave, take a look in verse 10. He says this, he says this, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. This place that he gets to in this cave, you know, when, when you pull yourself away, when you pull yourself to seclusion and by yourself, you start to wonder, wait a second, why do I feel so alone? And it's pretty obvious because you've made that choice. You've pulled yourself away from people. And in this dark place, and you start to see that, that man, this, this cycle of negativity, you start thinking, man, this, is just, this just stinks. Everything around me, when you're in a cave, what happens? Everything looks dark, right? Everything looks dark. So this second area where we find ourselves in this area is that negative and we forget all the ways that God has been so kind to us, so good to us, His provision over and over again. So two sure ways to find yourself in a depressed place is first pulling yourself away by yourself and then focusing on the negative. Okay, so you guys now, this far in the message, I'm looking and reading your faces right now. You're like, all right, Scott, this is a pretty gloomy message. And so you're, you're right, it is. The truth is, is when you actually dig into texts, it's not always rosy and sunny. But the encouraging thing we're going to see in this last section of Scripture is that God doesn't leave us in this place. That He provides a way out. Anybody okay with us spending the remainder of our time talking about that? 
or you guys want to continue on the gloom? Okay, vote? No, okay, so we'll, so we'll, go, we'll take a look and see what it looks like in chapter 9 to come back. What it looks like to come back from this place, to come out of the cave. The first thing that I want to identify, and we've jumped around a little bit here in chapter 19, it's so much to read. Verse, the, the, the first thing I wanted to point out in coming back is letting God confront you. Letting God confront you. The, the truth is that sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, when, when God asked Elijah, he said, what are you doing here? How did you end up here? How did you, how did you find yourself in this place? What, what does Elijah respond by? He starts going into this, this, this tirade of, of all of his complaints and all of his frustrations. And in summary, he says basically this. He says, it feels like I'm doing everything and you're doing nothing. How often do we find ourselves saying that exact thing if we're honest with ourselves to God? It feels like it's only me here. Am I the only one that's still following the Lord? Like these are the, the, the spiritually arrogant questions that we ask before Almighty God. And, and thankfully, God doesn't do just a big slap down. He meets him at this place of need. So he allows him, he, he just, like I always picture myself if I were in the God role, you'd be like, I did nothing. I've done nothing. Who do you think provided for you for the last three and a half years? Where did those ravens with the meat and bread, the sweet hamburgers I was bringing to you, like, like, where did that come from? You know what I mean? Like, I would have been like irate. Can you imagine if you're God and this this Elijah's questioning you, saying it's only me? Where are you in all of this? But that's not how God responds. He confronts him gently. He starts giving him a, uh, him a plan. He's saying, "Hey, I have a I have a new. First off, to just to let you know some things that I'm doing." He's like. I have a new king in place for Syria. I have a new king for Israel. You can go anoint him. I have your replacement and new best friend in place. I have, uh, don't worry, justice is going to be played out. And, and by the way, that, that point that you made of one person being left, he says, oh, and there's 7,000 people that never bail, that, that never bend a knee to, to bail uh, that, that you have in Israel, so you're not alone. So, so Jesus, that God in, in speech talking to Elijah doesn't necessarily confront him in this, this crazy tirade of I'm all by myself, but starts pointing out the areas of his provision. The areas that he has provided start showing that he does care. The second one, so let God confront you with his word. And then the second one, let God reveal himself to you. Let God reveal himself to you. Take a look at, at verse 11 in chapter 19, 11 and 12. This is a, such a cool part of scripture. This is the, the ex explanation of God revealing himself to Elijah. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And before the Lord passed by, and a, be, before the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After a fire, the sound of what? A low whisper sound of a whisper. I love this picture of how God meets us in our place of need. We have this idea that we have this looming, awesome God, which we do. We saw that last week as he confronts the, uh, the, the idol of Baal, as he comes down and rains in fire. But when he's dealing with us, it's more in a tender whisper. Isn't that awesome about our God? 
He's there in the cave and, the, and that, that fire came, the, the, the earthquake came, the wind came. All these things that we so many times picture God meeting us at our place of need in. But that's not where he did it. He did it at a tender place. He came in just a whisper. Maybe some of us have been waiting in our, in our point of need. We've been waiting for God to show up and do something crazy, something grandiose. That's the way we picture God showing up. And God's just saying, nope. That's not how I'm going to choose to intervene in your situation. I'm going to choose to come quietly. I'm going to choose to come to you in a place where you choose to pull away, and then you're going to encounter Almighty God. I've realized in my life that one of the things that I need to do is specifically carve out time to hear that whisper. Anybody else running at a pace that the noise of this life and the hecticness, and like how could you ever hear a whisper when you're, when, when you're living a life so loud, right? And, and you're, you're going 90 miles an hour. You've got the radio on as soon as you hop in the car. You get to work and, you, and you're, you're talking to people, you're interacting, you're on the computer. You, you get home, you're, you're interacting with your crazy family. Or am I the only one with one of those? You're, you're interacting with your crazy family. Then what happens as soon as they go to bed? Oh, get the TV on. You know, like, what, when does God ever have time to whisper? When can we hear from him? I personally, if there's one thing you can maybe take from this message, I highly recommend date nights with God. Times where you've got a, or maybe it's an afternoon, a time where you specifically set away a time to just go for a walk. Go for, go for a drive. Take a, take a hike. There's so many opportunities for you to pull away here in this environment so you can actually hear God's whisper. I believe when we do that, anybody else attest to this? When we do that, he will speak to you. He will speak to you when you get away to listen to him. So allow God to reveal himself to you. Pull away so you can encounter him. And I love it because in verse 13, we see what happens when God shows up in the whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, first, when you, when you see that, you're like, okay, well, that's, that's cool. He wrapped, him, wrapped his face there. But notice what happened when he had an encounter with God. Where, where did his body come from where to where? He went from being in the cave to coming out of the cave. That's what we've talked about here. When you have an encounter with God, all of a sudden you're not wrapped up in that cave any longer. In the darkness, you're, you're moved back into reality coming out of the cave, and that's what exactly, what exactly happens to Elijah. When God reveals himself to you, there's no room for us staying in the cave. Maybe some of us this morning, that's exactly the word that we needed to hear this morning, that, man, I can't stay in this isolation any longer. I can't be in this cave of depression. I need to come out. I need to have a fresh encounter with God. And that's what Elijah experiences. So he first you start to see that God needed to confront him. Then we see that God needed to reveal himself to him in a fresh new way. And maybe this next one is exactly what we needed here this morning, is that we need to receive God's provision. Receive God's provision. That maybe some of us, like I mentioned earlier, you're running so ragged and you just, you just need to receive God's provision. You need to get back to the basics of enjoying family, enjoying 
times with people that are close to you, enjoying relationships, enjoying a good meal with, a, with somebody that, that cares about you, rekindling a, a, an old friendship. I don't know what that is, but you need to receive God's provision. In verse five through eight, verses 5 through 8, we see God provide food and rest for Elijah. And I love the verse there when it describes the angel showing up. He says, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. We need to come to the conclusion that we can't do this. We can't do this on our own. We can't try to manage things and manipulate things and orchestrate things to make this all work. It doesn't work when we're doing it on our own. We need, we need to receive God's provision. And that provision a lot of times looks very different than we think provision should mean, right? So a lot of times we've been so formulated to think that provision equals something to do with with finances. And I'm pretty confident in Scripture that's not what God means by provision. So receiving God's provision. The next one, I just have two more here just briefly as we wrap up. The next one is this. Do what God says immediately. Do what God says after, after God chooses to meet him at this place of need, after he chooses to be a source of comfort for Elijah, he goes straight back into, all right, man, let's get you back in the game. Let's get you, let's not have you on the sidelines sitting and not doing anything. Let's get you back busy serving others. Because if we're honest with ourselves, when we're actually serving and meeting the needs of others, what does that do? It takes our eyes off of who? Off of me and onto others. It places our attention, rather the focus of our attention is no longer on me and meeting my needs and serving myself and serving others, a purpose. I love how God's been working just in stern and different people's hearts and lives here, even at the church in the last couple of weeks. You guys might not know this, but we did, as a, as a, as a whole church, I had an opportunity to do what I called these fireside chats, and I, I went to each of the different uh, life groups that we have within the church and had a chance to to chat with them. I think I would maybe have maybe one more to attend. Uh, but but all, in all of these groups, it was just fun because we, we just brainstormed some different ideas of how we can do a better job of meeting some of the needs in our, our community and dialoguing about that. I remember in some of them, kind of a reoccurring theme, we said this, we said, you know what, I don't, I don't want to tell you all the things that I think we should do to meet the needs in the community. I'd love for you to identify. I'd love for you to listen to God's stirring and God's prompting in your life and you help me figure this out. You know what I'm saying? Because there's one thing when, when I tell you to do something, it's a whole nother thing when God lays it on your heart and stirs and moves. And so it's so encouraging just to see in the last month or that was starting to bear some, bear some fruit. No pun intended here in a second. But the first one was this I thought was cool. We had a, you guys might remember a couple weeks ago we had a, a missionary guest that was here. And the night before we had Mark and Emily Guido, they, they contacted me and they said, You know what? We have this, we have this new fresh like, crop of plums. And we're not sure what to do with these plums, but we really want to use them maybe to, to bless some, some missionaries in our, in our church and, and how we could use that. And I was like, plums, hmm, how can we do that? And so it was kind of a cool thing. So you, you guys might remember at the church picnic that we had just a couple of weeks ago, the, weeks ago they had a table out the, outside and, and, uh, and they had it set up for, for plums. And if somebody wanted to donate something towards missions because of those, because of those plums, they, they're welcome to do that. You know, by putting those plums out, just random little thing that they felt God's tug, 
We raised 650 bucks for this missionary family to be able to go back. You know how far $650 goes in Vietnam? Like, it still goes a, it goes a long way. And so just seeing little things like that, God's starting to stir and move people towards action. I loved it also, uh, just seeing how Holly Johnson and Victoria Rhodes, uh, I, I don't think either of them were able to be in the service this morning as I was talking to folks, but, but just hearing them, you guys might have noticed in the announcements, what did we do for the, that they were behind? This backpack drive. I was stirring in their hearts. I never did fe- hear a final total count, but I know the, the ministry, I saw an email exchange, the ministry that was receiving it from us were like, they, I mean, if you could see excitement through the pages of an email, it was there. Like, they were like, are you kidding me? You ra- your little church did that to raise all of these backpacks? Like, how awesome that is where we get off of the sidelines and say, man, I'm just going to get busy doing kingdom stuff. I'm going to get busy doing that stuff. God uses that. God, it, it's hard to stay in a cave when you're out blessing other people, right? So what if the, that, that's maybe a word for us as a church as to another just real practical way to move the, the direction out of that. And this last one, number five there, is this. And we see this in the text a little bit later in chapter, uh, in chapter 19. Is getting involved with people again. Getting involved with people again. I love that in God's care for Elijah. He said, you know what? I'm going to send you this guy. I'm going to send you a new best friend. This guy, Elisha. I'm going to send you a guy that's going to come alongside of you, going to do ministry with you, that's going to share the load with you, that's going to help. It, see, it sounds, Elijah, like this is weighing kind of heavy since you're the only one. And, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to send you somebody else to help carry this burden with you. And what a gift that is, and even in our present day, it, it is community. The gift of community, the, the, the gift of relationship. You hear John Irwin up here every Sunday singing the, some kind of a new song about get into life groups, let, get into life groups. It's not just because he likes to sing that song. It's because we believe in it here. We believe that this community, the thing that we have to offer here as the body of Christ, is doing life together. Going through experiences, when you're going through that dip in that valley, and you're trying to pull yourself out of that cave, not feeling like you have to do it alone. That's the gift that we have as the body of Christ. And so taking advantage of that, taking advantage of that. Maybe this week, maybe, maybe you're like, man, maybe I need to take the first step towards one of those life groups. Maybe that's what, what uh, they've been singing the song, and John has a nice voice for that song, but, but maybe it's time that you actually respond to that. Or maybe just practically, maybe outside of the church, maybe it's time that you pick up a fr- uh, the phone and call an old friend that you haven't talked to. I was thinking about that. How I, I connected with a friend this last week and how refreshing that is, getting around people that, that love and care for you. So getting involved with people again. These are just a few things in this topic of, of depression. And I don't want to be so naive to stand up here and think that like in a, a one Sunday we can present an antidote and just have all of that sick, that all of that fixed. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't have an unrealistic view of this. This is a, a heavy and weighty topic. But I do believe that some of these are very practical things that, that you can start taking steps. I think the biggest one is trying to do it in community. Trying to not do it on your own, not being the lone ranger in this area. So I love, just kind of in conclusion here, I love how God chose to meet Elijah in his need. Elijah needed nourishment. God provided food and rest. Elijah needed a fresh encounter. God provided a gentle whisper. Elijah needed a purpose. God provided a doable task. 
Elijah needed a relationship, and God provided a best friend. We have a God that cares for us, a God that wants to meet us in our need. And the truth is, if that's not enough of a, a word of encouragement, we also have a God that sent his son, that died for us, that was in a cave, that didn't stay in the cave, a God that came out of the cave in the flesh and lives that we can have hope in Jesus Christ. If you've never bent your knee before that God, before Jesus Christ, and embraced his sacrifice on the cross, man, I'll tell you what, today, what is today? Baptism Sunday. A fantastic opportunity to do that. This is an opportunity for us to publicly proclaim, you know, I'm going to stop living for myself. I'm going to stop trying to solve these things on my own. I'm going to choose to put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. I want to leave the opportunity for that even in these next couple minutes as, as the, the worship team comes back up and leads us in a couple songs of worship. We're going to have a little, you notice that worship set was a little shorter. I wanted to leave us a couple songs and opportunity to come before God this morning and be refreshed. A chance for us to be moved out of the cave and back into a life of encouragement. Let me just as in conclusion, just pray for us just in that. Oh, we thank you for this word here this morning. Not necessarily a, a cheery topic, but I thank you, God, that at our place of need, you don't show up in the, in the, in the fire or the, the wind or the earthquake, God, that you show up in a still, soft voice. I pray that even in these remaining songs of worship, that the folks would get a chance to be quiet before you, to hear from you, to hear that voice of encouragement, that, that the, the, the arms of the loving God wrapped around them. God, we thank you for this opportunity today to celebrate lives changed, eternities redirected in baptism. I pray that if you're stirring in somebody's heart to do that here today, God, that you'd move them to action, that you'd move them towards that commitment. We thank you, God, for your kindness to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to remind you at 2 o'clock, we're getting together as a church family to celebrate life's changed, eternity's redirected. And so we'd love to have you join us uh, for our all-church baptism. That's at 2 o'clock in Tower 10 at Zuma Beach. And uh, otherwise, uh, this morning we have elders available here in the front uh, to pray for you. I know this was a, a heavy topic this morning, but we want to be able to come alongside and be a support, even regardless of what the trials you're going through. May God bless you, and we'll see you at 2 o'clock.